Stay fly. Stay fly. The Democrats take us for granted, and the Republicans ignore us. So why would we? Why would we keep going either way? Let us establish our own independent thinking. You know, apparatus. Okay, from poverty to prosperity, and I was, and I'm a perfect case study of how that can be done despite racism, sexism, classism, all the isms. And so I try to build that as part of my campaign. You're listening to the Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. They do all that because the views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Larry Thomas here on the Vol School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Vaughner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Welcome to another great episode, beloved, peace, beloved, peace, beloved, peace, beloved, of the Get On Code, the Fly Guy Show. You know, it's a series of melanated conversations focused on improving our collective situation. And today we have a gentleman who went from the Baltimore Projects to becoming a millionaire in Baltimore. He's a uh, business owner, entrepreneur, community leader. He even ran for mayor recently in 2020 <laughs> during this crazy year when everything was unpredictable. Right. Um, uh, I'm honored. We're honored to have Dr. Robert L. Wallace with us. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing well, brother. Good to hear you and good to see you. Uh, so to be fully transparent and just to share how much of this is a blessing. Last night I received an email and the email said, if you're looking for any guests, we have this black entrepreneurial millionaire who is looking to do a couple of interviews. I hit the yes button. I chose the first opportunity. I spoke with somebody this morning, uh, actually about 20 minutes ago, and we're here now with the beauty of technology. Amen. So this whole this whole thing is an opportunity. It's a blessing, and yeah, I'm I'm in and blessings up for this man. This is great. This is great. Well, thank you so, for having me. Let's start off with B with B more. Let's start off with B more or Baltimore for those who are uninitiated. Tell us a little bit about your time in Baltimore. Cherry Hills, is that the area? Cherry That's Hill neighborhood? Right. Cherry Hill, right. So, so, so Cherry Hill was a, after World War II, when the, when the black GIs were, were coming back from, from, uh, from the World War, um, they were at, at a, a different state of mind. And they were demanding housing uh, and, and um, you know, the, the GI benefits for African-American GIs. And so the city of Baltimore, because it didn't want to integrate at that time, this is in the late 40s and 50s, they did decide to put aside a neighborhood that would be primarily African-American and, and, and primarily African-American veterans who came back from the war. And they built this community called Cherry Hill. And it started out as a you know private a private homes that these GIs were using the, the, the GI Bill to to buy homes and to get the education. But over time, as they began, as the city began to build more public housing projects, they built a lot of these projects in Cherry Hill. That's called Cherry Hill in South Baltimore. So it became a low income. It started out as a middle class neighborhood back in the fifties. But over time, again, as they as they began to build low-income pro- uh, uh, housing projects, they would p- build it in Cherry Hill. 
and thus our poverty level increased in the in in our neighborhood. Um, you know, income level went down, so we were began to face all the challenges that you find in low income neighborhoods, high poverty, um, and, and, and and high violence. And that was the neighborhood that I was raised in. Um, five five boys. I was the youngest. Uh, well, next the youngest of my five brothers, uh, but the first child to go to college. My other brothers became career military um, soldiers and built esteemed careers in military. Navy, I was talking to you earlier about the Navy and the Air Force and Marines, um, but I was the first child to go to college, so I was different in that, in that regard. But that's true. It was a tough neighborhood, tough neighborhood, um, and it's still tough today. It's gotten worse since I was a kid there. Wow. So you're literally from the bricks. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, you know, when I ran for mayor, I was my, my platform was, as you said, in the, in the, uh, at the office of our conversation, you know, how to move from the projects, how to move from poverty to prosperity. Right. From poverty to prosperity. And I was and I'm a perfect case study of how that can be done despite racism, sexism classism, all the isms. And so I tried to build that as part of my campaign because Baltimore has, as you probably know, we, I think we, this year will probably rank either one, number one, number two, in terms of homicides and, or, or, or violence, you know, a violent city. Um, our poverty rate is going through the roof. Our joblessness, our, our help, helplessness, hopelessness, all these things that we battle as a city. I was my part of my platform was to show the path that I took to go from poverty to prosperity and to try to institutionalize that that path and that journey. So that was that was my mission why I ran from there. Wow. Okay. So what is the process from poverty to prosperity? How does that happen? That's a great question. That's a great question. Let me tell you where it begins. It, it begins with a dream. It begins with a dream. So, my, understand, my, my mother was a janitor in the school system in Baltimore. So, mama used to get on hands and knees. And I, I remember seeing her wash the floors of the schools in Baltimore City. My daddy was a janitor. He had a fifth grade education. Um, five boys in a, in a very difficult economic situation like many of our people find ourselves in, in this country but there was one thing that mom and daddy did very well with all five of us and that is they instilled in us the ability to dream to have a dream see if we we who are in who are in poverty if we look at ourselves through eyes of flesh then all we will see is the physical reality that we experience, right? We'll see the poverty. We'll see the lack of, of, of food. We'll see lack of resources. We'll see the police abuse. We'll see all these things. And we, and we, if we look through eyes of flesh, then those things that we see will begin to define who we, who we believe ourselves to be. What mom and daddy taught us was to look through eyes of the spirit. And the eyes of the spirit says, does not look at what is in the physical but looks at what is in the spiritual and what is and what could be. And so because they instilled in us that ability, I call it the ability to dream. And although we were in poverty physically, we knew through because mom and daddy said, if you if you have faith in God, if you work hard and if you pursue education, 
that you do not have to stay in poverty. And my brothers and I, we believed it. We believed what mom and daddy said. And thus our lives began to reflect that belief system. And thus our actions change and our outcomes of course change from there. So so we were able to make that transition from poverty to prosperity. And I think that's a powerful thing. So and so sir, it starts with a dream, right? So you start with the dream. The dream becomes your destination point, right? Mommies always say, we're in we're in poverty today, but we don't have to stay in poverty. Right? We can we can control our destiny. And therefore she gave us the tools, her and daddy gave us the tools that we could that we should use. Faith in God, hard work, education. And really, sir, I will tell you that in America, even with all the racism that we still face as people of color, uh, as, as people of color, despite the sexism and the classism that we that we battle with every single day, those three things I have told people and taught people, faith in God, hard work, education, they will always overcome the isms. They will overcome the isms, but you have to have a dream because the dream is what gives you the, it's the jet fuel, if you will. It's the energy. It is the, it's what gets you up in the morning and helps you to continue to fighting, to fight, even though it looks bad. I mean, I remember getting up, you know, going to school and not having enough money, not having meals, you know, not having to have a, 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 a safe place to live. I remember those days. But I remember mom and daddy told us. And so, and so that faith, that dream is what kept me getting up in the morning and continuing to fight, continuing to try and never give up. That makes a big difference. Wow, that reminds me of the uh, Notorious Big, the Notorious B.I.G. It was all a dream. <laughs> he started yeah. off in humble beginnings. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. That, that, that's why, you know, I remind people, you know, they talk about uh, the March on Washington in 1963. You know, my mom and daddy were at that march, right? There's a reason why Dr. King, when he gave his, I don't know, seven, seven minute, eight minute speech, I have a dream. He talked about the dream. It was Mahalia Jackson because his or his original speech was not going to talk about the stream he had. But Mahalia Jackson, when Dr. King got up to speak, Mahalia Jackson said, Martin, tell them about the dream because he had told her about the dream, his dream for America. And, and Mahalia said, Martin, tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream. And thus he delivered what is what is probably, in my view, one of the best, the best speeches ever given by human by human and totally changed the vector of the civil rights movement because of that you know what you bring up an interesting point um because when she said tell them about the dream martin tell them about the dream everything he said before then was truly revolutionary yes, he sir. was talking about boycotting he was talking about um you know making sure that we keep our money within our community yes, he was sir. saying some really revolutionary stuff it sure was yes sir he sure was but it was the dream portion that was really kind of like a freestyle it was extemporaneous exactly. it wasn't written down for the uninitiated yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, it was it was spiritual it was spiritual yes. at that point he went from the eyes of the flesh to the eyes of the spirit and that's why that speech was so powerful in my humble opinion well it wasn't the revolutionary Dr. King that helped change it was the dream that helped change, undergirded, yes, sir. Yes, sir. undergirded by the yes, revolutionary sir. piece. Yes, uh, sir. And, 
And so I would dare say now, you know, because people always <laughs> bring up, you know, what would Dr. King do? And I said, right. well, Dr. King, you know, he spoke about, you know, us keeping our money together. He spoke That's about right. reparations. You know, he was planning to boycott Christmas so we would demonstrate economic power. And that idea of boycotting Christmas just blows people's minds now. Yes, it does. Yes, it and does. Dr. King was talking about that. So we start with the dream, like you were saying. That's the mm-hmm. undergirding. That's the foundation. And then the revolutionary part, the change part, has to happen. And you're a beautiful example of that. Beautiful example. Yes, Man. sir. And I, and I think that's a path as I was trying to communicate when I ran for mayor, because as you know, I mean, Baltimore is two thirds African-American. Okay. But, but if you look at the prosperity of our city and the wealth creation in Baltimore, the African-American community really does not participate, has not participated in that wealth creation and in in that prosperity. So, So what I was trying to say in my campaign, and I'm going to continue to say as a as an independent as a, a private citizen who is developing an independent party in Baltimore City is that until we fix the economic inequality in our city that we will never fix the crime in our city we will never fix the poverty in our city we will never fix the dysfunction in Baltimore we will never fix the hopelessness and the helplessness so my point to the people of the city was look you talk about crime, you talk about violence, those are real, and they, and we have to deal with that. But if you want to really fix this problem, we have got to fix the economic inequality, institutional economic inequality that we face in Baltimore City. And that was my message as mayor. And it'll, it'll be my message as a now private citizen who is, who's going to start and launch this third party. Ashe, Ashe. Uh, that's something that we both have in common. You're uh, independent politically. And before we started the show, I was sharing how I began as a Democrat. Yes, sir. And then I was exposed to the radio show of Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) And I became a Republican for a while. And then in 1995, in the midst of the Million Man March preparation, I registered as an independent. And here in Virginia, you don't actually have to designate as a voter if you're a D or R or I or L anymore. That's kind of dead, but... I began and I'm in 95 as a independent voter. And even though I ran in 2018 for the school board as a Democratic candidate, I remained and still remain as an independent. Um, And we're going to have to get back to true political power. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's talk. Let's get to the money. You know, I I like Notorious B.I.G. So when he (laughs) and Junior Mafia said get money, I I was all ears. So how do we achieve true economic power in your model? So in my model, I was talking about what I came up with as part of in my first book I wrote on it's called Black Wealth Through Black Entrepreneurship. When I when I wrote my first book, I talked about the microeconomic issues and the macroeconomic issues. And so when I ran for mayor, I was focusing on both the micro, which is the individual economic development issues, and then the macro, which is the group. Right. And so I came I came up with this plan called the Nehemiah, the Nehemiah plan, the Nehemiah economic development plan for Baltimore City. And, and my plan was very, very, very simple, but very powerful. And that is my job was my, my, my vision dream 
was that when I'm mayor, I would go to Wall Street, I would go to Silicon Valley, and I would raise a multi-billion dollar fund that would be used to invest in the city of Baltimore. And there was a couple platforms that I was going to start out with. Number one, I was going to start out with that, that every, every is to break up the city into what I call neighborhood economic development zones. And these zones would be these these economic development strategies would be developed specifically to the neighborhoods that these zones that these that this economic plan was designed for. See, what typically happens, sir, in cities, primarily cities, they, they come up with an economic development strategy for the entire city. Well, unfortunately, in my in my humble opinion, that would not work in Baltimore City because our neighborhoods are so stratified. We've got like 32 uh, zip codes in Baltimore City. We've got 150 neighborhoods, different neighborhoods, and each of them is unique and each of them is very different. So my plan, the Nehemiah plan, was to develop the economic development strategy at the neighborhood level, at the neighborhood level. And in addition to that, we would not wait for government to provide us funding to develop these, these neighborhoods. I was going to go to the private sector, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, wherever money is, raise the funds to invest in Baltimore City. Now, why is that important? It's, well, the first part is, is, is structural and infrastructure because Baltimore City has about 20,000 now let, let that sink in about 20,000 vacant properties in Baltimore City 20,000 commercial and residential we have the city of Baltimore this is the point I was trying to make in the campaign the city of Baltimore has some of the most unutilized and undervalued real estate of any major city on the east coast so, so my vision as the entrepreneur politician was let us use these these physical assets let us invest in them and thus rebuild our city and we're going to rebuild it by using our own people right our own uh, citizens by using black businesses latino businesses in the city who, who are based in the city putting our own people to work and allowing them through financial reengineering or financial reimagining financial models allow low and middle income folk to buy the properties that that we're going to renovate and rebuild. Thus, we are injecting capital into our neighborhoods. We're using our own people, so we're creating jobs. We're using our own businesses, so we're creating wealth. And we're using our own financial models so that we can, so that our people can be homeowners. One of the challenges we face, especially in the African American community, and especially post COVID, is that we have our home ownership has decreased. And as you and I know, home ownership is the cornerstone of, of economic development. So if you have a home, then you have an opportunity to leverage your home to create more wealth. I will tell you, when I started my businesses over 37 years ago, right, my first source of capital was the second mortgage on my home, right? Because I had right out of college, I brought a home, you know, slept on a, slept on a, on a, on a, on a air mattress, my, my wife and I, you know, we went to Salvation Army to buy furniture, you know, but we had a home and that home grew in value. It grew in equity, and thus we were able to leverage that 
to do bigger and better things. And, and so this is the model that I think, sir, that we need to follow. I call it my, my Nehemiah economic development plan. And you may see that on the website. If you go to my my, uh, my political web, uh, uh, website, wallaceformayor.com. And that's the same kind of plan we're going to continue to push um, in my new role as an independent party for Baltimore City. Ashe, Ashe. Uh, the good brother, Carrie Lomax, a millionaire himself, says home ownership is the foundation of wealth. A salute to the 757, Carrie Lomax. Good to see you, brother. Amen. Hopefully, I can't remember. Yeah, I know he was, he was recently married. That might be his beautiful wife. Amen. Uh, Amen. So salute, brother Carrie. Good to meet you. You know, that leads me to this question. <laughs> How did you become an M? How did you get an M next to your name? How did you become wealthy? You know, you, you kind of just discussed it a little bit when you talked about how your you and your wife started off on right. really humble beginnings and but there's a business story behind this yeah you know? yes sir it is it is and I and I will tell you and maybe this is the wrong way to do it but I will tell you when I started out um, my objective was was not ne- not necessarily to be a millionaire. So, so in, in, in other words, I wasn't doing what I was doing as an entrepreneur to become a millionaire. I was doing it because I felt that I could help solve the problems of humanity um, better as an entrepreneur than I could as a employee of a major corporation. Now, keep in mind, I mean, I've worked for IBM. I worked for Procter & Gamble. I worked for DuPont. Westinghouse, these major corporations. So I've gone the corporate route, and that's been great, great for me. I made great contacts, got great training, great foundation. But I always knew that I could do better on my own, right? Versus being in a corporation. And, and so my objective was not to become a millionaire. I will tell you, my model has always been: if you find a problem that humanity has. It could be, you know, food scarcity. It could be technology based. It could be, you know, eradicating poverty, whatever it is. You find a problem that humanity has. You create a solution to solve that problem. And if you do that for a large number of people, you will in the process become a millionaire or a billionaire. So so what I what I when I mentor um, entrepreneurs, I tell them, don't don't make that your primary objective to be a millionaire. Let it be. Let it be a side effect. Let let it be something that comes with the journey. The journey should be how can you have impact? How can your ideas, your your products, your services, how can they help solve the problems of humanity? And if you do that, then you will become a millionaire or a billionaire. It really is that simple. And so I think sometimes, sir, we make it more complex because if you're thinking about, I got to be a millionaire, I got to be a millionaire, then it's going to change your thinking. It's going to, it's going to mess it up because when you're having difficult times, you're going to, you're going to lose it. When you have good times, you're going to over, overcompensate for that. So you will just say, you know what? I need to be steady day in, day out. I need to be focusing on problem resolution. How can I solve problems? In my case, because I'm I'm an engineer, I'm using technology as my tool to solve problems. And so by solving the problems, that's why today we have customers who we've had for decades, for decades. You know why? 
because they have seen that Bob Wallace and his company can solve our problems and make our lives easier. And as we as we have done that decade after decade, they keep coming back to us and say, hey, we, we need your help. We need your help. We need your help. And so if you continue to do that over over time, you will accumulate wealth and you will become a millionaire or billionaire. Wow. Uh, so so, Bob, are you a uh, family man? I know you have a beautiful wife. Uh, children? Yes, sir. I, I, I've been married for almost 43 years to the love of my life. Um, my wife is also an engineer. <laughs> you know, she she's she's a smart engineer. See, I, I'm just an average engineer, but she's a she's a genius engineer. Um, she's she studied biomedical engineering at University of Pennsylvania, which is where we met. And um, I fell in love with her at, at, at first sight. But I, but she didn't fall love. She didn't fall in love with me right away. I, I had to work to win her love. But I did that, and uh, praise God for that. And we have uh, we have, we have five kids, and we have uh, soon to be nine nine grandkids. Uh, my five kids are, are also most of them are, are engineers and scientists uh, who've done very well for themselves. And uh, we have nine nine grandkids, so we have a big family and growing. Wow! What are some of the mindset? mentality lessons, foundational concepts that you've raised your children with? That's a great, oh man, that's a wonderful question. I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, the first thing I, I, I we put our five kids is to put God first. To put God first. Now, I know some, some folks may not want to hear that, but if you ask me, my my experience, in my opinion, yeah, that's number one. Put God first. Because if you look at you know, and I was, as I said in the campaign when I ran for mayor in Baltimore, if you look at the history, especially of black people in this country and around the world, I mean, the one thing, the one institution in America that that has never failed us is our, is our church, is our faith in God. You know, the, the government failed us because they didn't they didn't fight racism more aggressively enough. The health system has failed us. They've discriminated against us in, in the healthcare system. You know, it, it, the economy has failed us in terms of businesses. I mean, we, our neighborhoods were redlined. You know, we were denied loans because we were African-American. I mean, every institution has failed us except for the church. There's no, it's no mistake that the civil rights movement in this country was launched from the pulpits of the black church. And thus, I remind our young people, you know, do not neglect your salvation. Do not neglect your relationship with God. That's number one. Number two is we instill on them, my, my, my wife and I, the ability to dream. I mean, my, my, my wife and I have built our business and we thank God for that. But when you look at what our kids are doing now, I mean, our kids are doing international work in solar energy. They've started software companies that were purchased by Grubhub. They are, they're, they're writing books. And they, I mean, our kids are just going to a whole higher level than what we were able to, to achieve. And we thank God for that because we gave them the ability to dream. The third thing I would tell young people, tell people in general, do not do whatever your dream is, whatever you're trying to accomplish, do not do it by yourself. That's why I wrote my fourth book, was called Strategic Partnerships, all right? Guidelines on how entrepreneurs can use alliances and partnerships to build their businesses. What I learned later in life, I wish I had learned it when I was your age, all right? I don't know which age, but you're younger than me. 
I wish I had learned. I wish I had learned then to not be a, try to be a lone ranger, and meaning that try to do it by myself. I wish I had reached out and was more intentional about building alliances and partnerships with people who had been successful, who were successful, and who were willing to help me. Now, I learned that later in life, and thus I wrote the book because I said, wow, I need to convey to, to the next generation how important alliances and partnerships are to building your business and building wealth. So those are the three things that I, advice I give my children and I give to my mentees who I mentor who are young entrepreneurs. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, you know, you said something that I kind of found intriguing. You mentioned that the black church has not failed us um, or the church. You said the church has not failed us. I actually think our faith hasn't failed us because I think the church is failing us currently. That's a wonderful point, brother. Yeah. I, 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 yes, I I feel you. I feel you. Um, and I would, and I agree with you. It, it is our faith. It is our faith. Because I, I remember my grandfather, he died in his late 90s and he fought in World War One. And he came back from World War One. He was in, in Virginia, your, your, your state. And Dan Daddy would tell me the stories of how black soldiers who came back from the war, when they tried to exert their manhood and their and their civil rights, how they were violently put down. They were lynched, they were set on fire. I mean, these things happened in America, right in Virginia and other parts of the, 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 the Deep South. And I would ask my grandfather, I said, Granddaddy, how were you able, you and your peers, how were you able to keep going in the midst of an environment that doesn't even recognize your humanity? Granddaddy, what, how'd you keep your sanity? And nobody told me. He said, grandson, I'll tell you what what kept us. What kept us is that our belief and our commitment that we had had a lasting and eternal relationship and bond with a great power and that power was God and that that is the relationship that kept us trying that kept us fighting that kept us going and I would agree with you brother that the church can do better but but the church but I will say though that the church even with all of its problems and all of its, its inefficiencies and it's it's lack of vision and reimagining. Even with that, in my opinion, it has still been the storehouse of hope and faith in our community. And so that's why I feel that this relationship with an eternal power is what keeps us together as a people inside. I should. Amen. I'll take that. (laughs) I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, Wow. Well, we talked a little bit about economic empowerment, which is on this channel, on this show, we're really focused on empowerment. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, during the last election cycle, I really kept pushing the empowerment agenda, which means that we're focusing solely on things that improve our lot in life collectively. Yes, sir. Um, and, and that concept kind of came to me after I ran unsuccessfully in 2018 for the school board. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a week before the election, I woke up and uh, in a dream, this message kept coming to me. It's not the agent. It's the agenda. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I was like, wow. No matter how this falls out, I got to remember that it's not the person, it's right. the direction. You know, it's the agenda. Right. Um, and so that really has shaped and colored my political understanding. And you have a really strong political position that for our people in particular and for an American general, um, there's some things that need to happen. What do you think for true political power needs to happen? How do we achieve true political power? That, that that's a great question, brother. You 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 you're on a roll here. So <laughs> in, my, in my in my book, in my first book, I wrote um, Black Wealth through Black Entrepreneurship. I came up with a concept that I called the Power Triad. The Power Triad, and a triad is the three sided object lattice, right? And each of these three sides, and and, and my Power Triad consists of three 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 lattices. One was um, economic power. The second was political power, and the third was ethnic rooting. Ethnic rooting, and and what I concluded in my analysis, because I studied, you know, I went to grad school at Dartmouth at the Tuck School of Business. I began my research there. Um, I was blessed. We had entrepreneurs coming through there, coming through Dartmouth Business School, like weekly. So I'm rubbing, I'm rubbing shoulders with like you know Bill Gates and 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 the founder of Oracle and, and 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 all these great people. And um, it, it was just the, the reality that, that this is what's going to drive drive our, our economy and drive our people. So, so, so the idea of this triad is, is this, and what I said in the book is this, said until black people, or any people for that matter, but I was focusing on African-Americans, until we build what I call the power triad, political power, economic power, ethnic rooting, I said we will always be at the mercy of the powerful. We will never be at our powerful best as a people. So you asked me about about political was political power or economic power? Well, we discussed economic power. So, what do you think is the true root of black people? People commonly called black melanated people, whatever term people want to use nowadays. Right. Uh, how can we truly achieve political power? So, political power is is, is, is tied to economic power. See, see, in my, in my, in, in the books I've written, in my view on this, is that you really cannot have one without the other, right? And, and so that, that's why I came up with this concept, this triad concept, because there is interconnectivity of those of those matters. Now, political power. Let's define what, what political power is. Political power, as I say in my book, Black Wealth. Political power is the ability to determine. How government collects tax revenues and concurrently how government spends tax revenues. In my view, in an economic sense, that's how I define political power. So thus, we look at now um, the the recent election. We're now going to get rid of Trump. We got Biden and Harris. Biden and Harris might be political power must pay attention and listen to the needs and requests of African-Americans, of all Americans for that matter. But I'm saying now for African-Americans, 
because if it wasn't for African-Americans, Biden and Harris would not be president and vice president. So political power says I need to have influence on who they choose to run the various agencies. And then additionally, what is the agenda? What is the agenda? So, so I'm pushing from my angle to with these new leaders, what is the agenda for urban America? What is the agenda for poor folks? Because I have a passion in my heart, brother, to help poor people, black poor people, white poor people, Latino poor people. My passion is helping poor people move from poverty to prosperity. So what is the agenda? What is the because the policies that Biden and Harris get behind and support will determine who in America will have economic opportunity and wealth creation opportunity as well. That's why I say those two, political power and economic power, are, are mutually connected. So we have to have both. And I was as and I say in the book that historically we as a people have not had both. And therefore, our job is how do we build both of these power bases in order to have true power in America? That's what I would say. Okay. Okay. Now, we kind of hinted earlier in our conversation um, by me sharing my story about starting off as a D, right. coming a R, and landing as an I. Uh, when you ran for mayor, you ran as an I, as an independent. That's correct. Um, and you're building an independent political party in the city of Baltimore. That's that's correct. So we so we just like you, I I started as a D. Um, I come from a democratic family. My my parents, my grandparents, they were you know FDR Democrats, and uh, I was the first one to leave from Democrat to Republican. And the reason I went to Republican is similar to you in the sense that I felt that the what was most important for for people of color in America was economic power through entrepreneurship. I, I, I say in the book that the only path I can see for us gaining economic power is by creating a class of entrepreneurs, right? Emerging, embryonic, emerging, and established entrepreneurs. So that's my hypothesis. That's my premise. And so, and so, and so, you know, given that, I felt that was the path that we needed to, to follow as a people in order to build economic power, you know, in, in America. And I thought the Republican Party had a platform, at least back then, where, where, they had, where they had policies that would support entrepreneurship and economic empowerment for all people. Now, you fast forward to Trump and the Republican Party of the day. The Republican Party, in my view, has, has swung way to the right. They've embraced this right-wing philosophies and, and, and right right wing groups, they have nothing to offer. Well, they do, but they don't articulate it. Nothing to offer to people of color, and they've allowed racism to become a foundation of their party. I cannot tolerate. I will not tolerate that. I will not be a part of that. So, thus, like you, I pivoted to becoming independent. And I think as an independent is what gives me the most leverage. It gives us the most leverage to really apply our political power to undergird our economic power so that we can be respected in this society. I agree. I said a while ago, this post is from uh, March 6, 2019. And I was saying then, you know, without us, the D's can't win. Without us, the R's might not win. Right. The value is an our vote. And so it was 
incumbent upon us to say, this is what we demand, because I do believe that politics is transactional. Yeah. It's like a business. And you don't do business without a contract or without payment. That's right. That's right. The, contract, the contract comes before the payment. That's right. That's right. right. So That's right. I truly believe then and I believe now that we should have um, demanded something for our support. Yep. Like all powerful organizations, all powerful people, all po- powerful entities do. If you want our support, these are the things that we need to get. And right. you know, I was disappointed with both sides. You know, you know, you know, President Trump came out with the uh, Cubit Zirconium plan. I mean, the platinum plan, <laughs> you know, because these are all things he could have done. Yes. These are all things we were asking for during the term of President Obama. Mm-hmm. So Trump knew what we wanted, didn't give it to us. Biden Harris on their uh, campaigning said, hey, we, we see your pain. You know, he gave us to Bill Clinton, but we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to make any promises uh, at, to the point where they said we're not going to do that. Although, you know, for the LGBTQIA community, yep. Yep. we're going to give some tangible promises. Yep. For the immigrant community who aren't even citizens yet, yep. we're going to make some tangible promises. Yes, sir. To the business community, we're yes. going to make some tangible. To the law enforcement community, yes, the sir. Biden Harris team made some tangible promises. But when we said, "Hey, this is what we want," no. Nah. And, and and recently, and so and so the question I would ask you and ask your listeners. And, and you're right. You're, so why do we allow this to go on? M- many of us, like you and I, and others who are in, been in the, the, this political battle, we see what happens. I, I think historically, the Democrats take us for granted, and the Republicans ignore us. So why would we? Why would we keep going either way? Let us establish our own independent thinking, you know, apparatus, and let us leverage that. In the best way that we can, regardless of Democrat or Republican, right? That's that's my point of view. Yeah, I agree. Because when we look back in history, the current Democrats were the for, former Republicans, <laughs> and the former Republicans right. are now the current Democrats. <laughs> right. So, if America's power structure changes sides depending upon their win, you know, their their, their position. Then I think we should choose us as our side. That's right. And, That's right. And, totally and so, so, you said earlier that you thought the key to political empowerment was being independent. I do. I, I do. I, I do. I, I believe that um, what we need is a people. And it's not just black people. I'm talking about people who who who, are, who struggle who struggle in this society. You know, and one of the things that has always amazed me is is how white working class people can be bamboozled by the Republican Party to think that their policies will help them, where in actuality, really, it's the Democratic policies that will help people who are, are struggling with resources, right? But they, but but I think many in the white the white working class community have allowed racism to as a wedge to divide working class black folk from working class white folk. If those two groups could ever come together and, and, and get on the same page, they would transform this country overnight. But they've uh, but 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 I'm I'm afraid the Republican Party's done a very good job 
of using race as a wedge against working class people. If we can move that wedge, white people who are struggling, black folks who are struggling, Latino folks who are struggling economically could change this nation overnight. We could find a way to come together. Ashe, amen. So you have a book, Black Wealth, Black Entrepreneurship. And interestingly enough, you know, I shared earlier how this all came together in really about 15 minutes. Uh, I actually have this book. <laughs> I bought this book years. When did you release this book? That's right. That that first that book came out in 1995. <laughs> so that book was 25 years old. And as you as you as you may know, I've written eight books now. Um, but that was my that was my first book. Yes, sir. Okay, I, so I wrote that book when I was a grad a grad student at, uh, in business school at Dartmouth, and I began it back in the eighties. In the eighties, I mean, I was so far ahead of this curve on black wealth through entrepreneurship uh, that when my book came out, the, that, that book that you just showed, it was revolutionary because nobody nobody was talking about black entrepreneurship back then when I was in graduate school. And so my research in, in, in school was based upon black entrepreneurship in America. And thus that book came out in 1995. Wow. Um, so when your book came out, there's a bookstore that I'm connected with called Positive Vibes African Literature. Uh-huh. I've heard and, of them. I've heard of them, yes. Right, right, right. So I'm connected. I own Positive Vibes Incorporated, the uh, entertainment services and consulting services. As a matter of fact, you know, we do credit fixes, tax resolutions. I lend private money to people who are real estate investors. I know that you're involved in real estate. So I'm able to get real estate investors 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab costs. This is one of the recent deals I did for one of my customers. Amen. I remember in 95, 96-ish, one of the study groups I was involved in, we studied your book. Mm -hmm. Now, I bought the book, and I think I may have read the first chapter, but then our study group changed into, you know, like the Egyptian history type stuff, and so I never finished the book. But you've written eight books, so you're a speaker, an author, and a consultant. So we're on your webpage, and that's robertwallace.com. Yes, sir. Tell us about your other books. So um, I I started my research when I was in in, uh, graduate school at the Amos Tuck School of Business at, at Dartmouth. And the my hypothesis was it's, it's the same one that I ran on as, as mayor of Baltimore is that is that we need to build the economic empowerment part of the lattice. I, I mentioned to you the power triad: political power, economic power, ethnic rooting. Ethnic rooting. People ask me, what does that mean? It simply means that you have an appreciation and pride in the contributions that people who look like you have made to society. Right. I mean, if you look at one one of the disservices this country has done to black folk is it, it has not documented and educated its children on the contributions that black folk have made in this country. I'm talking about it in engineering and science and chemistry and the arts, all the areas that the African-Americans have made. So I call that appreciating that value. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I call that ethnic rooting. Then we have political power, as you and I have been talking about, and then economic power. 
And so this, and so my 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 writing has been around what do we what what is the information learning education that we need to present and provide for people who are in poverty but who want to become prosperous using entrepreneurship as an engine and as a tool to make that transition. So each of my books addresses a component of that journey, right? So Blackwell started, then I felt I felt that people need to understand that alliances and partnerships are critical to building business and building wealth. Thus I studied and, and researched and wrote the book on strategic partnerships, which is the second book that you have there. Then I, I saw that there's a spiritual intersection between business success and spirituality. And thus I wrote the book, The, uh, the Sesay Principles, which is the third book. Sesay is a Swahili term, principles and guidelines for creating wealth through faith. Because I was raised as a Baptist and we were always taught that money in business was evil, that, that money in business was bad. And if you read the word of God, God does not say that. And so I felt through our mission work we do, we do in Africa, I was inspired to write this book, The Sesay Principles, Guidelines for Creating Wealth Through Faith, because God gives us directions on how to create wealth and then how to use that wealth to help humanity and build his kingdom. And so I felt that was the, 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 the journey I was making. Soul, soul Food, on the other hand, Soul Food looks at what are the principles of entrepreneurial success? So what I found is that most businesses that fail, they don't fail because they don't understand the technical aspects of success as an entrepreneur. They fail because they don't understand the principles of success as an entrepreneur. So I was inspired to write Soul Food, which has nothing to do with physical food, by the way. All right? It's all about entrepreneurial food. It's all about success food. It's all about the principles of success. And so in Soul Food, I developed 52 principles, one per week, to take a student through a year of, of immersing him or herself into these principles and then applying them to their lives and to their businesses. And thus Soul Food. Uh, was was created. Now, what you don't see on that site are the other books I've written. I've written book that's going to be out in a couple of weeks. It's called Let God Be God. Let God Be God. Using God's disruptive power to change your life and to change the world. So there I talk about, again, this intersection of business success and spirituality. Uh, that's, that's my sweet spot, right? Because I found, I found and find in my own personal journey and those of all the successful entrepreneurs that if we if we were more efficient at, at letting God be God in other words unleashing let, let, letting God unleash his power his full power in your business and in your life man you'll be amazed at the great things you'll be able to do I can tell you some story. if we had more time I could tell you a zillion stories about this but let God be God. That's the name of the book. Let God be God. Using God's disruptive power to change your life and to change the world. And so that's that book's coming out in a few weeks. I've got another book um, called Pivot Point Intelligence, which is uh, going to hit probably later next year. Uh, I mean, hit being it's, al- it's already written, but I'm but I'm I, I am staging the the the, uh, the rollout of these various books that I've written um, for the right time. Beautiful, beautiful. One of the things that one of my mentors, uh, I think it was John Epting, uh, 
one of my financial literacy mentors, John Epting, told me was that uh, success leaves clues. Yes, sir. And, and conscious success writes books. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, and, I like that. I like yeah. that. And I totally, I totally agree. I mean, people ask me, Bob, where do you get, where do you get this content from in your, in your books? And I say, I say, brother, it's inspired. I'm telling you, every book I've ever written, I was inspired through a dream and the experience to pinpoint that particular area of knowledge. You know, but if you if you look at the story, the history, the the the, the biography of Booker T. Washington and, and George Washington Carver, up from slavery, you will find that those men that their greatness came from 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 a a spiritual power, if you will, right? You know, and, and I think all of us have the ability to tap into that. You can call it whatever you want to call it. I'm a Christian. I call it God, God in Christ. That's me. I'm. A, if you were Muslim, you may call it Muhammad. If you were a Hindu, you may call it something else. And I respect everybody's religion. I'm a Christian and proud of it. But I will tell you, my inspiration comes through dreams and a spiritual revelation and experience. Every book I have written. It has come from that source. Wow. Thing powerful. I agree. I agree. I think if you look at God as a deity, mm-hmm. or if you look at God as good, orderly direction, mm-hmm. either way, you're, yes, you're moving in a. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. Because yeah. I have, look, look, I have many friends. I have friends who are Muslims. I have friends who are Jews. I have friends who are Hindu, who are um, Buddhists. I have friends who believe there's there's no God, right? They're still my friends, and we have different belief systems. I'm a Christian and proud of it, so I do follow the, uh, the Lord Christ. That's who I follow, and I'm not ashamed of it. But I but I respect everyone's ability and everyone's uh, option to worship. All I'm saying is that there's a spiritual dimension, however you want to call it or conceive of it or think about it. And in my own personal life, I've seen that spiritual dimension drive greatness in the physical world. That's all I'm saying. And my books are an example of that. Every book I've written brother, has been inspired by dreaming and by inspiration. Right? It's not like, you know, I'm a smart guy. I'm not that smart. But what I am is I'm obedient. I am obedient, right? And I do trust the power of the spiritual realm. I do trust the power of God and Christ. And so for me, that's real. And I and I act upon it. That's why I wrote the book. Let God be God. Whatever you, however you define your God, right? I'm saying there is a power in that realm that all of us have access to. That if we let that power be itself and manifest itself through your life, and that you not be afraid to share that, not be afraid to say it that you will be amazed at the great things you'll be able to do on this earth before you die. And that's, that's all I'm saying here. That's all I'm saying. Beautiful. Uh, I want to get you a chance to wrap up and give one last message uh, to anybody who may end up watching this. Before I do that, I do need to give another shout to uh, one of the sponsors of the show that kind of make this show possible. So we've learned that Health is not simply what you intake, it's what you place on. So in other words, it's not not what you just eat or drink, it's what you put on your body, what you put on your body. So we want to make sure that 
you go to commonsenseforyou.org. They have health and beauty aids that are actually healthy. Actually healthy. So if you go to commonsenseforyou.org, they have tooth powder. So here's a gem. Toothpaste is good to clean your teeth, but it's not good for your teeth. Right. So herbal tooth power powder rather by commonsenseforyou.org. Uh, they also have bug off oil, and I use that this summer and the last two summers to keep the mosquitoes away. <laughs> um, I love it. I love yeah. it. I'm going to visit this, this 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 company. Are they located in Virginia? Yes, they're based in Virginia, but they ship around the nation. CommonSenseForYou.org. Common Sense for you. The number four, like we ran for mayor. Okay. Yeah. CommonSenseForYou.org. Yeah. I want to thank them. Um, I have their soaps, and I tell you, I really love their soaps. So, I love it. I'm going to. I'm going to. After we're done, I'm going to check these guys out, and I'm 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 very interested. And what they offer. Good, good, good. Okay, well, with that being said, uh, thank you for their sponsorship of the show. Get on code, the Fly Guy Show. Get on code. And the code is empowerment. You know, Neely Fuller had a compensatory code, and we're not, even though I, I truly believe in that code, and I, I think it was insightful and it mm-hmm. was a revelation, I think that the code that I'm pushing is empowerment. Um, What's your last word? Because somebody's going to watch this five years from now. And there's a message that you have that's still as salient in the future as it is today. What's Absolutely. that last final message? So so my final message is this. is that each of us, to varying degrees, is an entrepreneur. It's an entrepreneur. Each of us has been given a God-given talent, a God-given gift that is unique to us. It is our job through the course of our life to identify what that gift is, transform it into an entrepreneurial endeavor, and then provide that gift to humanity. And in the process, you you will create jobs and you will create wealth. And I think that every single one of us, either individually or corporately, have that power to do that. And it's up to us to manifest that power and to make it a lasting benefit and impact to humanity. And if we do that, we will fulfill our lives. We've been building with Dr. Robert Wallace. And uh, I'm, I'm so honored that we got a chance to quickly pull this together. You dealt with the triad and the triad was yes, political. Sir. It was economic and ethnic. What's the term you used? Uh, ethnic routine. Ethnic rooting. Yes. All right. Right. And that kind of reminds me of what the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey talked about. Uh, Yeah. You know, we have to rally around ourselves. And when I look at the triad, you know, it kind of reminds me that there is an intersection of politics and economics. My ancestor, Walter Case, and actually my ancestor on my wife's side, paid for the ability to vote. My Lord. Yes, sir. He paid, and he also paid sixteen cent in interest. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love showing this. Amen. In Princess Anne County, which, which became Virginia Beach, he paid for a melanated person, a I person of African descent, a black person, an indigenous person, whatever term we want to use. Yes, sir. And so we should all take good notice of this triad the ethnic rooting the political power Mm -hmm. 
and the economic power. Yes, sir. And if we do those three things, we will we'll, we will create black wealth and black power. Okay. Well, you know what? I forgot to do something. So I'm going to do this very quickly as we're closing. So, you know, we were on your webpage. Yes, sir. We were on your webpage, Robert Wallace, speaker, author, consultant. So you can go to robertwallace.com. Yes, sir. That's robertwallace.com. Let me put that in the uh, on the screen so everybody can see that. Thank you me. can go to robertwallace.com. That's robertwallace.com. Also, tell us about this. The so, fifth group. Yes, sir. So Biff Crew Technologies is, uh, you know, where I'm, I'm living what I preach, right? That is, I'm taking my, I took my gift as an engineer and a technical person and came up with, with technology solutions, in this case, information technology solutions that will help our customers to solve their problems. So we're working in like cybersecurity, biometrics, software engineering, um, supporting large government installations on the IT side, right, to help them perform their technology work. And that's Biff Group Technologies. With the, the company's over 27 years old now. Okay. And now, Biff, and Biff Energy? Biff Energy, we started when President Obama came in in 2009. And we focused on renewable energy solutions, primarily solar and wind, where we build large-scale energy projects using renewable energy. We also use uh, energy data analytics to help companies to, to analyze their energy sub-environment so that they can know how to cut their costs, but at the same time deliver energy resources to their customers and to the public. Beautiful, beautiful. And I showed that picture uh, with you and uh, President and Obama. Obama. And Obama. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. He was very instrumental in us and our energy company because he provided, the, for the first time since FDR, provided maximum resources in the energy space to to pivot and to revolutionize our energy dynamic in America, to go from a carbon-based system to a non-carbon-based system. And I credit President Obama with that transition. Wow, wow. Um, I'm sure that as we, if we had a really good time to talk about it, we could uh, find some really great things about President Obama and some things that... Uh, in retrospect, <laughs> we're, we're disappointing. Yes, I mean, look, I tell folks all the time: President Obama is a man, just like you and I. He has strengths, he has weaknesses. So there, are, there are many things that I would have done done differently. Um, I, there were areas that I think he, I, I thought he should have been stronger in that he wasn't. But he also did a lot of good things, especially given the resistance that this man received from the Republican Party and from the right-wing part of our nation. So, look, every president is going to have good and bad. So, President Obama is no different than any other president. All right. Well, thanks again to commonsenseforyou.org. That's commonsenseforyou.org. And also remember that if you're a real estate investor, get in contact with me. I can help Amen. you with 90% of purchase price, 100% of rehab costs. And Dr. Wallace, man, we really thank you for your time today. I tell you, this is truly divine design, as I Amen. said earlier. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank Hey, blessings to you and your family, man. Keep doing what you're doing. You're a shining light. People are following your lead. Stay blessed. You too, my brother. God bless you here. And have a wonderful holiday. You and your family. Oh.
All right, and everybody else stay fly. All right, and everybody else stay fly. All right, and everybody else stay fly. This show was brought to you by Positive Vibes Incorporated, our consulting services. We do credit fixes, we do tax resolution, we lend private money and debt consolidation. So, if you need some of these services, we're waiting here for you. Credit fixes, tax resolutions, private money, and debt consolidation. Make sure you call Positive Vibes Incorporated. All right. And everybody else, stay fly. 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 The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. Stay fly. Stay fly. Stay fly. Stay fly. Stay fly. Stay conscious. Stay fly.